Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Micton. Dan is uh, away this time. I think all of us, as you know, we've just had the summer, we've relaxed, and it's a chance to get some respite, maybe disconnect, travel, maybe meet some friends and family, you know, and then we come into a new school year. And new school years always are full of promise, of anticipation, and excitement. Uh, often people come to a new school or you have new faculty, you might have a new school head. There's just a lot of newness and there's some transition and maybe in your own role, you're new. And with that comes a lot of excitement and I uh, kind of you start dreaming big and you think of all the things that you can do and all the possibilities that are in front of you. And today, uh, I think one group uh, or one area of a school that's always really quite critical is the whole digital infrastructure, the IT systems, the IT pedagogy, the digital fluency, the library media services. Those play a more and more important role. They've always had a role, but I think with the situation that we're in and the prominence of digital ecosystems in our day-to-day -day lives, how they impact us in our social uh, dynamics and also our professional dynamics, the role of an IT director. And I'm just using that label, which is very generic, and everybody has different permutations of that, but we're not going to go into that. But I'm just really excited because uh, we have two really fantastic people that have done amazing work in their respective schools and have uh, been in a lot of prominent schools uh, around the world. And Christina and Charlotte have been so kind to come and they have that role where they're managing not only IT systems, but the pedagogy and kind of the strategic thinking part of the senior leadership team. And then they have a team that they support and they work with that really helps schools often deliver some of those aspirations and those dreams because so often those today are really connected to some digital system, be it a laptop, an iPad, or an ecosystem like a student information system or some uh, data, uh, AI, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, enough for me. I'm just so honored and such a privilege to have you both here. Christina, welcome, and Charlotte, welcome, both of you. And as we do always, we always start with a little bio so people have a context of what your role is and where you are. And then we'll kind of dig into some of the themes about uh, what does a new academic year look like in 23, 24 with everything that's happened in the past? And we'll go from there. So Christina and Charlotte, a warm welcome and off you go. One of you, I'll let you, whoever wants to start can start. Thanks so much, John. It's really, really a pleasure to be here uh, with you and with Charlotte, especially since I've had the good fortune of being able to work with you over the years in my career and have learned so much from both of you. Um, I'm Christina Devitt and um, I'm currently the director of, as you said, we all have interesting titles, learning innovation and technology at the American Community School in Abu Dhabi, where I am now in my finishing up my second year, I have a week to go. Um, I consider Brooklyn, New York to be home. Um, and I've been working in technology, educational technology going on three decades now. Sounds better to say that than the actual number of years. <laughs> Um, I started at an independent school in Brooklyn. Uh, then I went overseas for the proverbial two years. Um, and then close to 20 years later, I am now at my fourth international school. Um, I have a background in computer science and philosophy. And needless to say, the computer science part has changed drastically <laughs> in the time since I received my undergraduate degree. Um, the philosophy part, not so much, but I think actually a little bit more important than ever. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. Thank you, Christina. Charlotte. 
I too am honored to be here and um, particularly as both of you have helped me out in a number of different ways and I've learned a lot, so thank you. Uh, so I'm Charlotte, I'm the Director of Technology at the International School of Kuala Lumpur. Uh, had just finished up my fourth year this time around. Um, uh, I have been at ISKL before holding a variety of roles and also at uh, Chinese International School in Hong Kong and the American International School of Muscat. And unlike Christina, my background is not in computer science. In fact, I was a business major. Um, so my undergrad is in business. I worked at IBM and I worked at uh, one of big, IBM's big customers uh, in a com computer centers. And then I worked in publishing at a visitor's guide to Chicago before I decided that I wanted to be a teacher. So then I became a middle school science teacher, and this uh, that happened in Chicago, where I was living, and did my master's, became a middle school science teacher, and then a grade six teacher, transitioned into technology. Now, that was at the time when most schools had no computers or a few computers. I was teaching at a uh, public school in Chicago. And we were one of the first schools, well, my science lab was one of the first schools to get computers and also to have what was then a modem line. So I too have been in technology for quite some time. Um, and then uh, after uh, being a middle school science teacher in grade six, then I transitioned to be a technology coordinator at a lab school north of Chicago. Um, heard about teaching overseas, came over again for my, oh, I'll try this for two years. Went literally as far as halfway around the globe um, to start at uh, the International School of Kuala Lumpur. And as I said, I was there. Um, I was there for 11 years, holding roles, elementary tech, elementary assistant principal, middle school tech, power school, uh, project manager, then director of technology, and then off I went. I'm back now. Uh, I was originally going to take a gap year after working in Muscat. And I was, um, I found out that the role was open and I was excited about where the leadership team wanted to take the school. Um, I had been considering a gap year to just sort of question the role of education really uh, and the senior leadership team really was talking about authentic relevant uh, multiple pathways to learning uh, inclusive and so forth and so um, I ended up here again and I'm really pleased to be here Thank you so much, Charlotte. Yeah, and it's just so nice to hear these journeys and how, you know, we mm. always have good intentions only to go for a couple of years. And there's something about the international world that really is very attractive and engaging. So one of them, uh, one of the questions I'd like to ask and kind of, you know, you both uh, are at the beginning of a new school year, 23, 24, and you, you very likely already very busy and juggling a million things and feeling like the summer holiday never existed and it's vanished uh, out into thin air. 
But what do you think, because we've had, you know, we've come out of COVID and with the post-COVID, there are a lot of different things that have happened. The idea of well-being has become really amplified, the idea of balance. And then schools also have had to maybe relook at the way, what is their value-added proposition in this world that's changing so much? And then and last November, we had generative AI that suddenly showed up, and that has just shaken not only schools, but I think generally you're seeing an immense amount of traffic in publications, media, and different pundits, you know, giving us doomsday scenarios or fantastic scenarios and, you know, navigating between these. What do you think, both of you, because, of course, you are part of the leadership team. So there's some strategy, there's some visioning going on, and there's also aspirations tied to that. What might be different? What are you maybe doing differently this time around compared to other times? Because both of mm. you are uh, in this field. What maybe has changed a bit? Charlotte, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's really changed is, um, so we spent um, at least at ISKL. So, uh, you know, the two and a half years or so of COVID and what we called MCO, where we were very restricted. And prior to that, we had also been impacted by the haze in Malaysia. So there's been a good two and a half, three years of start, stop, start, stop. And yet through it all, we were still envisioning what is it that it looks like for us for the future? So all of this is going on and we're still, yes. And how do we really educate for um, beyond university, right? Um, not just, okay, get into a good school kind of a thing. And so I think this year it was our first year or sorry, the last school year was our first full year back on campus and people had changed. Um, if you think about it, you mentioned the social, emotional learning, wellness, um, our awareness of balance, because during those COVID years, teachers, students, parents, everything was so intense. And so we've really intentionally, even last year and moving forward into this year, focused on what does that balance look like? The other thing that's, that's a, a bit different is that this last year, we were on campus and it felt a little rusty. And yet it felt like there were all kinds of opportunities um, given that, well, wait, how do we do things? And it's encouraged us to really look and say, and how do we wanna do things, right? Because we've had a, a, a disruption. And so I think that's poised us really well to go into this next school year. And what are we doing differently? I think we're being a lot more intentional about what is it that we need to focus on, that we want to focus on, and what is an opportunity for improvement and growth. Um, we're also, uh, it, all along um, as well with COVID, of course, there's been a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. And so um, what does that look like? And so we are embedding that within our social emotional learning curriculum, including digital citizenship. So there's all of those relations. And again, being very intentional about what that looks like. Then you throw in AI, chat GPT. I think <laughs> what, it, what it looks like is that there's these opportunities 
to really examine how we do school and what are the possibilities moving forward to really have personalized instruction to um, reduce some of the load on teachers for things that might take a while to be able to really differentiate and to do so within with a lens of okay and how are we also keeping students and adults safe and aware and also thinking about things like um where what about the bias right having the the metacognitive mm -hmm. piece as well and so uh it's it's an interesting time for us anyway to again be intentional but it feels like there's lots of possibilities nice oh that sounds like a really good space to be in christina mm. you are uh, not in malaysia but you are in abu dhabi and so a different cultural context different context different school as every school what are some of your reflections on this idea of what 23 24 might look like differently for you and your community I love that Charlotte finished her conversation talking about that sense of possibility because I think it's hard to be in education and hard to be in technology, especially without always having possibility in your mind. Um, that's, I think, what's so exciting about our jobs and our context. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that as I've been in this field for a while, I'm seeing technology become more and more contextual to the school and the culture that we're in. Um, and so when I think about ACS, there are some things that are foundational that carry through from year to year. Now, again, this is only my second year. I'm finishing up, starting my third. Um, and, and like Charlotte, what I've noticed uh, in the past two years, this year was really the first year where we came back to what we call post-COVID normal. Um, and, and had a similar question around um, what do we rethink? This is an opportunity to do that. I think we all hoped we would do that more because of what we learned through COVID. But meanwhile, you know, we're, we're rebuilding the plane as we're flying at this time. Um, and so uh, we've used the term strategic abandonment here and there where we're really being thoughtful about what we keep and what we let go of. Um, but there is that foundation which we're carrying with us um, that is, those are ACS pillars. We have um, four pillars that sort of uh, structure the learning that we expect at our school. We have athletics, academics, arts, and service. And so those are still our main values. And what we see is that technology and innovation really um, energize all of those areas, right? Amplify and facilitate all of those areas coming to life in a meaningful way and in a way that's appropriate. So the question we're asking now is what does it mean to experience those areas, those domains in 2324? Um, you know, we have kids with their own YouTube channels already, right? We have kids with their own businesses already. I just came from uh, last year, I saw a grade three or grade five business fair. And there were literally kids that had their own businesses already and their own websites set up. So our, our kids are empowered with this technology in ways that we certainly weren't when we were kids. 
And we need to think about that as teachers. Um, another thing that we're considering a lot is the new economy that we're in. We're in the experience economy now. We're out of the resource economy. Um, and that means that we need to be preparing our students for it and that when they come to school, they expect learning experiences. And we have to define what that means. So um, we're starting our year with two big things in mind. Uh, one of them is we are designers of learning experiences for all students. All of us are designers for every student and they come to us from uh, with different um, ideas, different experiences, different identities, and we need to uh, make sure that we are aware of all of those as we design these experiences so that we can speak mm -hmm. to them. And uh, the other thing that we have on our minds is we're actually building a new campus. And so <laughs> as you, I know you've just recently been through that, <laughs> we had some conversations around it. And um, that's a big deal for us. I mean, we're literally moving to a purpose-built campus that will be double the size with not double the enrollment. That's intentional because we're very tight in the space that we've been mm -hmm. in for 50 years. Our school has a long legacy um, and it has a beloved campus in many ways, but we're super excited about the possibilities. And so what we're hoping to do this year is really leverage that transition as a way of innovating and designing learning experiences mm. that take advantage mm -hmm. of these new kinds of spaces that we're gonna have. Um, and so there's gonna be lots of great dialogue and imagination and possibility that we're gonna be exploring for the whole first semester. And then we're doing a mid-year move. Um, wow. Yeah, so we, we are gonna have yeah, a lot I'm of- Mid-year moves. Mid moves, yeah, they can be interesting, absolutely. Yeah, right. Wow, so your, your, your campus is already being built. Oh yeah, it's well underway. So uh, wow, it'll wow. be exciting. Yeah, around this time, to see exactly if it's almost ready to hand over. Nice. What's okay. interesting about both of your descriptions and the way you've kind of shared your dispositions and kind of your thinking and your school community thinking, if we were here maybe thirty years ago and both peeped the audience knew that you were IT directors. They would be like, well, what are they talking about? They're not IT directors. Well, they should be talking That's about funny. systems and networks. And, and I'm wondering, because you know we all have worked in this role in different contexts, do you feel that role has really, it's a new role. It's a different type of uh, a profile of a person that has to be in this role and what schools are looking for. Because there is the whole IT component, and that's more the nuts and bolts, the systems, the networks, uh, the firewalls, the security, the accounts, and you know the student information system, which is kind of the really the mechanics, I'm going to call it. And then mm -hmm. you both are really talking about vision, value-added propositions, strategic thinking, aspirations. What has happened to this role that you think this is, because I'm, I'm not saying this is unique, I'm saying this is really a, a new narrative for this role. And maybe you can talk to us because both of you have worked in this role in different contexts. 
why might have this happened? What is it about the world today that an IT director, and I'm using that as the generic term because you all have very unique, we're just going to say the IT director uh, or directress if we were speaking French, but we're not. (laughs) Uh, What do you think has changed in the role and schools obviously both have hired you knowing that that's your approach. And I'm just wondering what, what has changed, you know, what has maybe given school permission to say, this is the profile, this is the disposition, this is the type of leadership that we want. I think, uh, can I jump in, Christina? Absolutely, you go for (laughs) it. (laughs) So I think that um, initially when we were using technology in schools, it was very, uh, we needed the technical And even if you look at the way that the ISTE standards have evolved, at first it was like, Mm -hmm. well, what is it? Oh, how does it work? Oh, how do we use it, right? And over time, we've gotten to the point um, of, (laughs) well, first of all, it's a lot more complex than it used to be, right? But it's, it's more, it's not the stuff. It's not the tools, it's not the shiny new thing. It's what are we doing with it? And what is the learning that we wanna have happen? And so it's having that strategic and pedagogical focus. And then, oh, and given that, what does the technology need to do to be able to support transformative learning versus, you know, when tech started out, it would have been in a computer lab. It would have been isolated from whatever the learning was, right? I mean, there was still learning going on, but maybe it was computer science, or maybe it was here, you're gonna learn how to use Microsoft Word, right? Um, But it is now, technology is so embedded in everything that we do. And, you know, we were all probably part of conversations of, should we go one-to-one, you know? Should we use technology in schools? Those questions are, you know, of course we now, yes, of course. And if we weren't, and if we were not also thinking again strategically and thinking about we don't, we want our students certainly to be critical and creative consumers, but we want them to be producers. We want them to own it, right? So, so, so they're not sort of, oh, the computer is doing this or, oh, the, this is, well, no, 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 no understand it to the, and, and how might you utilize it to have impact? And so if you, as we've transitioned and, and as I imagine um, people looking for, well, so what ought this role to be? We need to have that broad scope. Um, and, I, and I know that in some schools, sometimes we still kind of have, you know, you have the more technical IT and you have the edutech, right? Sometimes it's, the, the, the two, and sometimes there's somebody overseeing the both. Um, personally, I still think the overseeing the both uh, works well. Um, but yeah, I think that that's why. What do you think, Christina? Yeah, I, I agree with you that um, having someone who can bridge both sides of the purely mm-hmm. technical and the educational is important. And I think to some degree, I agree with uh, your analysis, John, but at the same time, I, I kind of feel like from the very beginning, 
when technology appeared on the scene in schools, we actually needed to have people who understood both how to use the tool itself and the context of education. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe there was more emphasis on the tool because it was just so new. So I feel like the balance has shifted a bit now to uh, less about the tools themselves and more about the purpose for using them, the impact they're having, the transformation, exactly all those words that you used, Charlotte. Um, so I, I feel like the combination of, I'm sure you've heard the term consumerization of IT, right? I mean, everybody knows how to use their, their mobile phone. I mean, people probably sometimes think they know more about technology than they actually do. That's um, a good point. Yeah, and then and then COVID, I think, just did an amazing job of upskilling mm. so many people in the use of technology for learning. So many of the tools that maybe were introduced during COVID um, have carried into face-to-face -face learning, I found. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yep. so now the conversation is about why are we using this tool? And I think it's also looking at our ecosystem it, systems from a systems perspective. Um, do we just bring in, there's, there's so much to choose from now. You didn't used to be like that. So now we're trying to do some sense-making with our colleagues about what is the most impactful um, way to use technology for learning in our context. And then the, the, the topic of, of technology itself as, you know, technology as learning, as a, a domain of study is also much richer and more complex and of great interest to students and importance to them. So I think, um, you know, with our understanding of both sides, uh, we're able mm -hmm. to support the work and the curriculum in that area as well. So I, I feel you like some of the same components are there, but the balance has shifted. And you talk about this bridging. You mentioned this idea of bridging and, and this balance. So do you find in your role, you are kind of keeping that equilibrium between focus on the hardware, the machines, and the pedagogy. You're trying to remind people, let's not focus too much on the system because we actually need to focus on the learning or sometimes we're focusing so much on the learning, we're actually not realizing that we have a system that's not really. So, you know, I'm just curious, how do you juggle that? Mm. Because both of you are in your leadership teams, you have a seat at the table with the decision makers, and you really represent that. And often you are considered as the expert. People look at you when there is a cyber attack uh, or whatever it might be. How are you balancing kind of keeping that e equilibrium? Because I think, Christina, and both Charlotte, you really talked about the importance of that, but also that the shift is maybe more in the pedagogy because we realize that's really what we're about day to day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you, go ahead, Christina. No, no, you go ahead. So, so one thing that I've noticed that's been interesting is that um, so our ed tech team um, uh, we've been peeling away more of the IT sort of things. I mean, they still, you know, there's an entry there for like tech support kind of stuff, but still focusing on that. What I've actually, um, and we've been actually a little bit intentional about it, is that the focus on pedagogy and learning and empowering our users and systems is um, having a, a big impact on IT. So 
we, we don't have a bunch of IT people who are just IT focused. Instead, everybody is focusing on what's the value. Everyone is also being um, more human centric and really, really looking in, in more of a design thinking way versus here's a system, it's really good, here's the manual, <laughs> you know, I'm like, um, so it's really understanding the humans and what is it that we need to do. So there's this, there's a, there's a shift not only in the pedagogical sense and being intentional, but also in the IT realm um, to, to really develop things that work and have not only human-centric systems, but to be able to um, be more agile, be more automated, be more interconnected um, just uh, across the board. And so then that's having another knockoff effect in helping on the pedagogical side. So it's going back and forth. As an example, um, we do a um, Panthers teaching Panthers. Like it, it used to be a teachers teaching teachers, um, but now it's Panthers teaching Panthers. Panther is our uh, mascot. And so it's um, all employees teaching, right? And so our tech support manager um, offered a chat GPT session. Initially, we thought it was, it, he was targeting it to more of the operational staff. But in fact, a whole bunch of teachers showed up. And so, um, so he, he did the session as a result or a partial result. Then um, a teacher attended, a teacher dived into it came back and said, you know, I was at his session for this. <laughs> I was doing this. So it's, so, so now we're having more teachers in quote unquote, the IT sort of side, um, which has been just, just phenomenally uh, rich yeah. in terms of development. I love the Panther Panther thing, because I think also often the IT kind of the techies often are in that dark room, you know, and it's a kind of the, Ooh, the metaphor. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right, I, right. that's exactly what it is. And Christina, how about yourself in your context in that balance? Yeah, I think it is definitely uh, something that people in our role need to manage. Um, I think in an ideal world, what you've just described, Charlotte, where it's a true learning community and everyone is contributing in some way as um, bringing expertise and learning from one another, the more we can include our staff uh, in, in those conversations, the better, and those opportunities. Um, because after all, our core business is is being a school and we want everyone to understand what it means to work in a school and apply IT in that context. Um, at the same time, I think there's been sort of a natural division within our department where the IT side focuses um, a bit more on infrastructure and making sure that everything continues to work and almost is kind of invisible as much as possible, right? We want it to be reliable, robust, mm. um, 
easy to use. And of course, with our new campus coming online, um, we're putting a lot of thought into what that's gonna look like, how we can even improve upon what we have already. And then the other um, reality that I think, again, covers both sides of the shop is just how systems talk to one another, um, how data talks from one system to the other. There's a lot of data that we share. Um, and we have to have standards for how we manage that data and where the single source of truth may lie. Uh, so, so those kinds of things go across both sides of the shop. And that's a big job in and of itself. There's just massive amounts of data that we're, we're dealing with right now. Some of you, I'm sure, are further <laughs> along uh, than, than we are with that. So um, a, someone that I worked with when I was in Jakarta Intercultural School used to say, the job of being in IT is partly about managing expectations. And I think that describes what it means to uh, constantly look for that proper balance because mm -hmm. everyone comes now with their own expectations for how technology should work or what they should be able to do with it. Okay. And there are still um, systems perspectives that we need to bring to the table. Mm. And there are things that we can learn from the, those expectations. And so I, I think those conversations were the ones that are facilitating those and making sure that we take all of the ideas and implement them in a way that has the greatest impact on our schools and our students and our mission. Oh yeah. Think, and, and Christina, you're, 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 you're talking about, um, when you started talking about data, that's a big one. Um, I mean, data is gold, right? Data is uh, whether whether we're protecting it from a cybersecurity standpoint, or we're thinking about data protection and privacy, GDPR, GDPR, or as in Malaysia, the Personal Data Protection Act. All of that is so. There's the protection, and how is that all laid out? And then there's the all of the data in disparate systems. Like you said, how are we getting it to talk to each other? What's our flow? What's, uh, what's all that going to, to look like? And there's some really exciting um, work being done in uh, probably everywhere, but certainly in international schools, looking at um, what are some tools that we're using to visualize and analyze data? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What does that look like from a systems perspective where, um, you know, it, sometimes we have one system that tries to do everything or we have multiple systems that maybe don't talk to each other or we have all of that and a bunch of spreadsheets, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. And so how are we, how are we pulling that together to have structured queries, to have safe data, to um, provide the kind of dashboards that we need, where ultimately to have it by say student. So a student has a dashboard with that data, right? So that they can own that. A parent, right? Here's my students, obviously teachers, admin, but then if you add the AI piece, how's my student doing? Right, it, mm -hmm. like, um, it's exciting stuff. We're we're doing some stuff with them. Um, yeah, we're 
definitely doing some stuff with that. Um, we're uh, not as far along as some other schools, um, but lots there. Yeah, it's interesting. So we uh, in June we had the chance to interview Chris Smith, and uh, he did a wonderful mm -hmm. podcast about this issue of data visualization. Yeah. So yeah. what, what you, you know, I think you both are, and in this little topic of data and systems talking to each other, the reality is that most users, they, in their day-to-day -day life, they go to Amazon, they go to some social media, and it's very fluid, it's very seamless. So they have certain expectations the way technology works. Mm. It's invisible, I press a button, it happens, I don't ask questions. Do you think with that amplification of the expectation of the seamlessness and this always 24-7 on, that schools often, the resources that they have, in other words, the human resources to manage the cybersecurity, to manage the databases, to manage all these things, do you think nowadays it's become such a big kind of entity that it's almost impossible to do it within the context of a school. And that's where you have to subcontract out. Can you really do all the digital uh, security and all the cyber attacks? Can your team manage that enough? Or is it, are there tools now? I'm just wondering, you know, how much are the tools replacing some of the human uh, capacity but also with all, you know, if you're thinking of APIs, different databases talking to each other, visualization, and then you have to do the curriculum and you have cybersecurity, you have recycling. I'm just, you know, listing all these things that IT directors have to manage. Do you think it's sustainable or is it re-looking at the way these departments and the approaches where there has to be subcontracting or is maybe some of the AI really going to help us take some of the mundane tasks out of the way so we can focus on the bigger ideas. Christina, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I certainly hope that AI steps in and helps us with some of this because <laughs> um, as you said, there's a lot to manage and most of our staffs I think are, are we could always use more people to help us with the, yeah. the amount of uh, functionality that we try to maintain and the systems we try to maintain. Um, I think probably every school makes different decisions, probably depending on the staff that they have, um, where their strengths are, where they want to invest uh, in training. I have been at schools with really large staffs that can specialize in certain areas, and it's wonderful when you have that, that luxury of um, resourcing. Otherwise, I think it's, it's impossible, really, to do the job without relying on some close vendor relationships and finding the right vendors to partner with is I think another really important role of the IT director. Um, and that's something that I've learned over the years and uh, really appreciate when I find a vendor that I can work with that really supplements our team or that actually helps to upskill our team in some way. Um, mm. Yeah, it, I mean, it's funny. It's sometimes it feels like uh, certain, you know, maybe networks become more reliable. Um, Apple TV or MDM systems make 
management of, of you know, scaling the management of devices so much easier. But inevitably, there are five more systems that get added on at the same time. And, and mm-hmm. the skill set that's needed to manage all of the new things may not be the same as what was with the old things. So again, it's that um, making sure there's constant training and and figuring out, like, for example, app development, that's something that we do. Um, some of it uh, happens in-house by students. And that's, I think, the most exciting kind of uh, development that can occur. But sometimes we need an app development developed that's really specific to us. We have a partnership with a vendor that helps us develop apps when we need them. And I think those are the kinds of things that schools need to determine. What are the range of services that I need to provide? What can I do in-house and how, how can I supplement? Mm. Charlotte, any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, we, we definitely have, a, a, again, working with um, vendors who we can form a partnership with is really important. Um, I often um, say, my team knows this too, like, even if it seems like we should add more people, that's never my first thinking. (laughs) And I'm always, I'm always, okay, hang on. What might we do with what we have right now to make it more systematic, to clean up, to, to, to think instead of doing lots of one and done, and then you have 10,000 one and done, what can we step back and look at and say, well, hang on, if we do it this way, we won't have as many of those additional needs and that will free us up. So looking at that, and then I think really uh, empowering our teams to be thinking that way as well and to be thinking and certainly supporting them, but to be thinking, hey, you know, this is what I always do. How might we make it easier? And and engaging not only our IT teams, but really across the board, so that um, sometimes it does mean um, having a, you know, this system or that system and, and the additional systems. Sometimes it means outsourcing on um, skill sets and technical skills, right? Because particularly in IT, yes, there are skill sets, but with so much change and development and so forth, it's not really reasonable to expect that someone you hire for a need right now is going to be is going to have that same skill set or a different skill set and be able to just flip, right? Um, even uh, likely you're fortunate enough to have the same high quality people <laughs> that I do too, right? Yeah. So, um, so it's it's really I think that the the role of the director really is to engage not only their teams but others as well in really looking at that and really saying, okay, so hang on. And, and, and sometimes it's at the, it's definitely at a very ground level. Oh, so show me how you do that. And you go, oh, wow. And, and I end up saying, same, I, right? Because the, what someone might be needing to go through to, to do their job just seems just like, oh my goodness, 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can do this. But when you, when you sort of, but, and, and yeah. And when you do that, it, it ends up that there's quote unquote more work, but it's for the, for the good. Right. And so you, you support your team in, in having those kinds of conversations as well. And then gradually the whole piece um, kind of shifts. Uh, you just said some magic words for me, Charlotte, which are how might we? Um, and, and I remember um, last year, our team got together at the end of the, the year and said, um, one of the things that we do really, really well is we ask, how can we make this better? And I think establishing a culture, I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you want your whole school culture to do that, but particularly in IT, mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, is it working or not? Or I just need to get it done because there are always you know, fires to put out. But um, if you're really starting to think about digital transformation, to use a bit of a buzzword, uh, as a culture, as a, within your team, I think you can really make a, a bigger difference. And I can tell you that it's funny when you said some jobs have shifted, you know, over the three decades that I've been in this industry, networking has become a much more complex job than it was in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and I don't have the deep knowledge anymore. I definitely rely on vendor partners and internal expertise uh, in that area. Mm -hmm. Another area that I think is more important than ever, and I don't know if we're outliers, but I suspect not, is project management. There are just so many different projects going on. And they might be uh, systems to implement. Uh, they might be data to port from one place to another. It might be a new campus to build and all that goes along with that. But there's always a project going on uh, that involves technology and having someone to support because we're in a support role many times uh, to support whatever someone else's project might be and, and make sure that it uh, is accomplished because inevitably technology is part of it. And then the other job that I have found uh, is super, super helpful is something like a functional analyst where that person is responsible for learning about a new system and really digging deep. They have to understand the context in which the school operates, and they also have to understand mm -hmm. the problem that we're trying to solve. It's kind of akin to a project manager, and then really dig in to learn a system mm -hmm. and figure out how it's going to work or not work mm -hmm. uh, in your specific context. Mm -hmm. We actually, uh, in my last professional situation, we hired a functional analyst when we brought in our student information system. And it was amazing mm -hmm. because suddenly every time an email came, they were able to say, yeah, I know how this system works. Well, actually, I noticed that your schedule is such. So I think, it, you know, so it's right. not often where you mm -hmm. send to the IT person like, well, it says that you can do it, work it out, you know. Right, it's exactly. It's far more empathetic. It's far wow. more wow. engaged in understanding the culture that's asking the question right. and responding to that culture. You both talked about that this is idea. really interesting. I, I think that um, my hunch is that while we don't have a role of functional analyst, so this is some uh, a, a new term, I think that there that we do have several functional analysts on our um, on my team. On your team, yeah. Right. That I think end up playing that role. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
I think it's a mindset too, the way you approach it. You yes. both were talking about, you know, the skills and the dispositions. Robert J. Steinberg, who is a professor at Cornell, did a lot of work on what they call the adaptability quotient. And one of the things in the research that they found with people that are put into situations where they have to learn new things because there's accelerated change is they often point to their past as their point of reference because that's where their experience is. That's very sure. likely where the tools are and they feel they have a toolkit from that past. And what they're realizing is that so often that actually is the wrong thing to do, is that you want to kind of disassociate yourself from those mental models of the past and really bring in completely new perspectives. But for humans, it's very difficult because there's a sense of almost like if you can't honor your past, then there's a sense of less value. You know, your past is what mm. kind of mm -hmm. builds your reputation and your skill set. Mm. So it's just interesting to hear both of you talking about engaging with your teams and the professional development and keeping them fresh. Do you find that you have to spend a lot of time working on that mindset? You know, as, as a leadership team member and as an IT director, you know, you have some person that's involved with, say, migrating data from one place. And they said, well, we always did it this way and this doesn't do it that way. How much do you have to actually be coaching people in the way they learn? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think fortunately schools in general have spent a lot of time diving into the idea of a growth mindset and what it means to have one um, and how important mm -hmm. it is, it, particularly when the pace of change is sort of mind boggling. Um, I think that most of us don't just go back to our past mental models um, because it's a source of pride, but more that it's a source of comfort. It's something familiar. It's something we can build upon. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right that the key is to find people who are open to learning something new and not, I guess, getting too attached to that past, that mental model. Um, and mm -hmm. sometimes you can use aspects of it. You just can't take it wholesale and apply it to a new situation. So mm -hmm. um, I think I don't know. I, I, I guess I wouldn't say that it's specific to any role in my team, but in general, that's part of what we do in our role as IT directors is mm. um, encourage people to consider a new way of doing things mm. that might be different and than I, what they've done before. Yeah. And, and I think that, that actually in IT, we've been a bit fortunate in that there's always change. Yes. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? And so, yeah. so there just is. And so people who are in IT um, and, and perhaps even the reason they gravitate to it is there is change. So there's not necessarily that same kind of, uh, that, you know, either comfort or, or, or looking back, they, they might look back and say, well, it has worked or whatever, but I think there's, um, a degree of openness. And what I find too is then kind of um, how, how might we work with other teams, right? Who 
haven't been in, and, I, and I'm not saying change is like, woohoo, change is great, let's all change, but um, right, they, who haven't been in that sort of rapidly changing kind of, kind of realm. And what I find is that, um, again, it's definitely the human centric of listening to what's going on. Um, yeah, people, they, they want to do well and they, and they are doing well um, based on what they've been doing, right? But they also are, at least the people um, in our schools are, are like, hey, <laughs> if there's a better way to do it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <You know? laughs> sometimes, sometimes we're actually not even asking, right? And so, so, so people are yes. doing their jobs and they're doing them really well and they're like, you know, producing and their they're, they're bosses or their supervisors or whoever, they might not even know all of what this person needs to go through to achieve that. And then when you start kind of digging in and you're like, oh, wow, maybe we could look at making this easier, you know, they're all for it. Yeah, you just made me think about when AI hit the scene in November. Um, mm. I mean, there's an example where I, I was so impressed with our school community and mm. their embrace of the possibilities that AI could bring. Mm. And, and there, I think there was more enthusiasm than fear. There was definitely mm -hmm. some there were reservations about what does this mean for certain kinds of assessments that we do. But I think, you know, most people felt that we've, we've needed to look at some of these assessments anyway. And some of it's driven by mm -hmm. external um, entities that also are going to need to change with the way they think about learning and assessment. Mm -hmm. So um, to me, that's an example. I, I think we're all, especially coming out of COVID, right? We're, we're all <laughs> realizing that, you know, there's a lot that's unpredictable. And um, one of the most important mindsets or skills to have right now is that ability to adapt. I mean, it's yeah. essential, yeah. right? With our, mm. our world evolving the way it is. Mm. Mm. And it's being able to adapt to and support, right? Because yeah. the um, COVID change, whatever, takes a lot out of people it does right yeah. and yeah. and yeah. and and that adaptability um we've uh i think covid did force a lot of that right and and i mean there have been a lot of positives um and one of my worries sometimes is that uh it, it is is about the people right um mm -hmm. and supporting and and really Sometimes, even though we can, should we? <laughs> should we maybe slow down? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I want to kind of bring this thing, because we've been talking about skills and learning and adaptability and this idea of, uh, you know, growth mindset. There is amongst you see more articles than I have seen before where there's a sense that our children, the students that we have, are not digital natives. They absolutely know nothing about technology. They're very adapt digital consumers and they can consume very well. 
but the ethics and some of the more uh, mechanical parts of that are not being addressed. And I've talked to a few people. We even had a panel of digital coaches at uh, the beginning of uh, this year in January. And the question was, do you think we've gone too far in saying, oh, let's let the teachers integrate it and we'll give them laptops, we'll give them iPads, we'll give them Google Classroom, whatever it might be, and we're good to go. But have we maybe gone too far? Is it the role, and many schools have computer science, and, and there's no doubt schools address that, but that's mm -hmm. usually targeting a very unique audience. The, the students are maybe more predisposed mm -hmm. or in their professional and ambitions, they know that they have to do computer science or robotics if they're going to go into engineering, or there might be some interest. What do you say to when somebody says that, you know, kids are not digital natives, they're good digital consumers, and actually they don't know much about IT in the sense of the ethics and the mechanics? How do you react and what might be some of your thoughts? I'm not saying this is a blanket truth across all schools, but I think there is a some truth because you're seeing more articles where uh, pundits mm. are saying we need to be far more uh, deliberate about teaching Excel or, you know, teaching some of these mechanics that often we think, oh, kids will work it out with a YouTube video. Yeah, it's a great question, John. And I have mixed feelings about it. Um, for the most part, I still believe that learning skills out of context is not as lasting or impactful. And so I think the question we need to be asking is how can we ensure, or how can we identify what those foundational skills are that are likely to last or be at least transferable to whatever new evolution of technology might come along? Um, how can we expose and give students genuine opportunities to use those skills in the context of whatever other classes they have? Mm. Um, one of the things that we're doing at ACS and they've been doing for a while is um, we have a badging program and students um, can choose to take an exploring technology class where they can select specific skills that they want to study mm. in more detail. Um, and those skills tend to represent a range of things that students would need to be creators with technology and actually uh, do something impactful for the rest of their studies. And in fact, one of their highest levels of badge is where they're integrating the skill that they've learned into another class. Um, and so that's actually, yeah, had, uh, no, it's not every kid is learning the same skill, right? There's a lot of choice involved. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but that's kind of an important part of the equation too. And if you think about how we have all learned our digital skills, right? We don't, we've been learning them as we need them, right? It's sort of what we want to know and what we need to know. And I think combining those two things is always the most powerful learning. Um, and we just have to be aware that that can't, that the technology skills need to be part of the mix when we're designing learning mm. experiences. Mm. Yeah, and I agree with you, Christina. Um, and I think that this is a, a, a common tension um, kind of in our realm uh, where it's, we want things to be authentic, but we also, at some point, we want to have every student have opportunities and access, right? And then it's not variable 
um, this teacher is into it and this teacher isn't. And mm. uh, we're, uh, we're working on it. <laughs> but I, I would say that um, it's, it's uh, we need to work on it more. And I think that um, John, as you phrased it as ethics and mechanics, I think that the ethical piece um, in particular is um, one that as we look at power and, and uh, who has power and data and AI and all of that um, and using, using it for the good, right? I, I think those are um, questions that we'll be continuing to grapple with. Um, and that in some ways, perhaps the intentional, authentic, relevant embedding of the mechanic is perhaps a, a, a lower hanging fruit. Um, yeah. But, but, the, but it, is, it is important. And actually the ethical piece, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking they're really two different air, two domains mm. completely. Mm. And um, ethics, digital citizenship, whatever you want to call it, mm. I feel like that issue is just huge for our kids today. Um, yeah. And I see, I don't, I suspect it's not unique to our school. You know, that's a, a lot of the issues that, a lot of the challenges, the SEL challenges that schools used to face are now happening in the digital environment or spilling over from the digital realm. And um, kids have such power with these tools mm -hmm. without the experience and wisdom to know how to use them and understand mm -hmm. the reach and impact of their use. Um, that's an enormous challenge for schools. And I think one of the most important ones we can address. And we're talking about, we're, we're rebooting our social emotional learning program at our school. Mm -hmm. And we're really mm -hmm. trying to think about how can we weave that topic in, in the most meaningful way. And I think mm -hmm. one of the big challenges for schools is that when the adults talk to the kids, the kids just don't sometimes feel like we really understand their world. Yes, um, yeah, and I wonder how do we get students talking to students in a way that helps them uh, mm. raise their awareness mm. and develop the kind of empathy that they need in order to use technology mm. for good, as you would say. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, I, I've been in many situations where, you know, teachers are teaching to their past and kids are sitting in the room and they're like, that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. This <laughs> is right. not my world. And of course, they go through the hoops. So I have two children that went through international schools, are adults now. And when you talk to them, they really say it was a marathon of hoop jumping. Mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of hoops to jump through. Yes, you know, and don't talk about reflections. We reflected on the reflection. <laughs> the reflection. <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting. I was in a professional situation where there was a room full of IT directors from many different international schools. And of course, the proverbial question was, uh, chat, you know, what is your school doing? And everybody talked about kind of the positives, the excitement. Nobody said, oh, isn't it interesting that nine companies in the world 
take are in control of this information right. and technology. We have four in China and five in the U.S. And just the whole topic of ethics, it's almost, I feel, and we're not going to get into because we'll spend another nine hours here. <laughs> it's an awesome topic. But I just think the mm. ethics is something that you brought up, and thank you, because mm. I think we are underestimating. And one thing that mm. I did react to that thing, I saw people, you know, we had social media. We kind of ignored it. We kind mm -hmm. of said, yeah, and parent teachers were like, well, that happens at home. And parents were like, well, it should be happening at school. And kind of we were pushing the ping pong ball back and forth. And now you look at studies and there's some issues with loneliness, depression. There's just a lot mm. that we know social media. And then we have this whole surveillance capitalism that's come on board right. where behavior is now mm. monitored and curated. And people are a little shocked. And I'm just thinking, well, here now we have AI let's maybe learn from that previous lesson. And Christina, I'm so happy that you highlighted mm. the importance of ethics mm. and how do you weave that mm. into, for example, uh, you know, your social emotional learning, a curriculum and things like that. I think schools really mm. are mm. understating or under uh, underestimating the long-term impact. And I think, you know, social media is a, unfortunately a lesson learned that hopefully we can grow from. I, mm. I don't know if you have because this is just opening a can of worms, I know. Well, it is. I mean, and, and and we and we all. I mean, it's not just IT directors that that are own this area. I mean, we all own it as adults. Right, we right. all have to help support the students, and I think we have to find a way to reach them, learn from them, and uh, and model for them what. Yeah. good use of technology can look like. I mean, we're not always so great at it ourselves, I think. No, um, no, no. Well, uh, there's a great quote by Mary, uh, Mary Aiken, who's an author, says, we ask the wrong question. We shouldn't be asking when is it appropriate for a child to have a digital device. We should be asking when is it appropriate for an adult to have a digital device in front of a child. Yeah, that's a great, and, uh, that's a great observation. I really think that's something that we forget. Right, right. I'm just mindful of time and mm. we're going to come back mm. and have a conversation about ethics because I think that's okay. what I've done. Uh, well, and, and I, I just have to say though, Christina, Christina, you said something too about um, the kids that our students are, oh, well, and John, you re referenced it as well, that I think it's really important that we, we do engage our students much more because we come at this sort of like well this 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 but it's yeah. is it resonating is it is it helpful is it right where are they really at um yeah, yeah. so engaging the students in this whole conversation is important absolutely agree more. yeah it is it's mm -hmm. about student learning at the end of the day in our audience we are going to have it directors that are starting for the first time. You know, uh, one of the exciting things about international schools, there are opportunities in your professional growth to take on new responsibilities, new roles. And I think all of us, well, I don't come from, I, I started as a kindergarten teacher in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, uh, so it's a very different, we come from different backgrounds. And what would be something that, you know, here's an IT director, they're sitting in their new school and the year's starting. And of course, they very likely already busy. Uh, you know, you don't walk into an IT director position cold. That's something very likely they've met people prior. And any just little ideas or quick reflection, or even for 
current IT directors that maybe has worked well for you or maybe kind of a perspective or disposition that you would want to amplify and share with others? Well, I'll tell you one thing right from the start, and that is um, grow your professional learning network. There are so many uh, great colleagues out there that you can learn from and collaborate with. And I have been, I've benefited so much from, again, conversations with both of you and with others um, throughout my career. And uh, you're not alone. It might feel like it sometimes when you're in your school because you're the only one in the position. Um, and those relationships that you build externally and internally are really um, the bedrock of your success. Um, and I'm sure many of the tech directors here would know that. It's, it's not just about, as Charlotte said earlier, the tools that you have at your disposal, uh, the resources, you can make a lot happen um, through relationships and uh, values. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you, Christina. Charlotte? I uh, jump on and say something similar and different. Um, it's the people that matter. And so day one, listen, seek first to understand and ask. You might have 10,000 and likely do uh, ideas and experiences how you want to improve um, your, what you see. Uh, but first, uh, you really need to listen and understand. Thank you. Wonderful. Both of you, thank you so much. Uh, just so, such a privilege to have all this wisdom uh, shared today. And I really appreciate both of you coming and sharing. And I want to make sure people know their show notes so you can read the bio. And also, I know Christina and Charlotte are always open if you want to reach out. As Christina Absolutely. was saying, the professional learning network is so important. So do uh, take heed. Do check out the show notes. And if you want to connect with them, they'll be there. Uh, thank you both. I wish you a very successful year ahead. And uh, let's meet next year and see how things are. And we'll have, I, I promise we're going to do the thing on ethics. because I, I love it. We'll yeah. I'll hold you to it, John. I love it. Uh, and again, Thank you. show notes uh, for the audience. Do check out Christina and Charlotte's bio and the resources that they share. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you.